actually talking about Channing's Happy Dad shirt because we went to every store in Atlanta, Georgia, and we can't find Happy Dad. What is wrong with your hometown? They, they, they love it too much here, man. They love it too much. We can't even find it. Do you think it's our promos? Yeah, I think so. You think it's hey, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, they fooled me. They, they, you know what? They probably It's probably because when I speak about it, I speak about it like I'm Inky Johnson. Uh, and it motivates <laughs> people to know how to buy it. Now, Ink right here, too. Oh, 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 here to find a case. All right, let's do a show, man. You are not exotic. They'd be like, is he Brazilian? Is he Cuban? Nobody's ever asked, were you Cuban? And they did. No, they didn't, Channing. I said, see. <laughs> Hold up. Limitless. Biggest to me, cap pinning it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. Knowing me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless. Biggest to me, cap pinning it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. Shoot, man, we back on the pivot the place of the almost famous, and where at least we used to think the place where everything always works out. You know what I mean? It seems, <laughs> it seems the tide is changing. Uh, obviously, we got the OG, Freddie T, Freddie Flowers. We got Chan. I and mean, today, we got a special guest. I mean, Inky Johnson. I, in doing my study, was like, there's no way his real name is Inky. Right on. And so what I've tried to do, Victor Oladipo came on. I learned how to say his government. Uh, what I've learned is that no matter how many times I was going to read your name, mm-hmm. which is like four names, yeah. by the way, <laughs> I wasn't going to get the first one right. So I'm right going to let on. you introduce yourself to the world by your government, only if Absolutely. you're okay with it. Absolutely. Only if you're okay with yeah. it. Yeah. Inquarious Desmond Chad Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Hence why the world called me Inky. Yeah. <laughs> Inquarious, is it like yeah. a mix of... Glorious and inky. Man, my mom, man, she said she was reading a book about the Iroquois Indian tribe, man, and she wow. came up with it. Wow. Yeah, and Quarius. But my grandfather, because the first part of it, you know, people started calling me Ink. And so he was just like, Inky. And everybody's like, yeah, man, I, li- I like that over that Inquarius. But yeah, man, four names, man. You know, I grew up in the hood, RC. They give you all type of names. Nah, I, I love it, man. <laughs> but man, welcome to the pivot. Everybody, we thank y'all for your support. Please continue to subscribe, like, whether it's Spotify or Apple, where you want to listen to your podcast, or if you want to watch us on YouTube. I am finally out of the mindset that we are a podcast. We're a show. Not a TV show, though, because we're a show where people just sit down, chop it up, and you get to know some of the people you see all the time in a different way. And I want to start here. Before you get going, yeah. uh, this is our Oprah, right? <laughs> Your mom, she read a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Is there anything that she could give us or that she probably shared with you to help keep the devil away? Because we're, we're, we're facing major pivots. There's been a lot of shit going on. You know, they say the devil attacked no when doubt. the success starts building, when things are going right. No doubt. What, what can you share with us? Before we get into the, the bag yeah. and the big stuff, Absolutely. is there anything that you might share or she would have given you? <laughs> yeah, man. she's getting tough. <laughs> <laughs> she would just always tell me, man, like, when life starts happening, like, ain't get quiet so you can hear God. You know what I'm saying? She would just always say that. Like, when things start happening, transpiring, adversity, opposition, get quiet, right? Because everybody always got an opinion, always got a perspective that they want to share with you. And she just always would say to me, man, get quiet so you can hear God. You know what I'm saying? And so 
for me, that's always been my go-to. When I start going through it, a life start going like in a way that I don't want it to go, I try to find solitude, you know what I'm saying, so I can hear God. Damn. That means we're going to have to meditate as a group. <laughs> you don't want to hear none of that funny shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got to tune in. But it yeah. does get quiet mean you got to sit in a dark room. I can't nah, do that. Nah, get quiet. Nah, what the nah. brother? You talk for a living. Right, right. We talk for a living. Like, what does right get on. quiet mean? Right on. I think it's just solitude, man. I think everybody finds peace in different ways, right? Like, you might find peace through laughter, mm-hmm. right? Joking. I might find peace through just sitting back, observing, laughing at cats. You gonna find peace a different way, or she gonna find peace a different way. And so, to me, the way I interpret it is just find your peace, right? However it comes to you. And so it all it all comes to us in different ways. I don't think it has to be getting in a quiet room, cutting off the lights, chilling, pulling out your yoga mat. But if that that what works for you, do it. You know what I'm right. saying? But for me, it's just finding your peace. I think people obviously look to you for wisdom. I also know that part of your character is to provide it through experiences. But I feel like, you know, if like if we're looking at your social media or we're listening to your speeches or your presentations, it's kind of a synopsis of where you've gotten. Mm-hmm. I think we don't always get to know where you came from. And we're here in Atlanta doing this interview. And you said it earlier, like you from the hood. Well, I think you grew up in a house of 13. You grew up right. in a place where it, it, it wasn't bright, that, that, that things could be bleak. How did you keep your focus through that to propel you to be on scholarship at Tennessee? Man, you know, growing up the way I grew up, you know, it's a two-bedroom house, 14 people, Southeast Atlanta. It's the best time of my life. You know, one of the best times of my life, I would say that. You know, because you had everybody in the crib and you learned a lot. I always tell people the fortunate part for me was I got to see both sides of the fence every single day. Right? When I walked out of my door, I got to see cats that made the right decisions and what it yielded, and I got to see cats that made the wrong decisions and what it yielded. And I think the thing that, that helped navigate me to a place such as Tennessee was I listened right, to cats that I felt like had my best interests at heart. Even if a cat was in the street, you know, and they gave me advice and insight, and I knew they had a good heart, I would listen. Right, because just because a person makes certain decisions and choices, that doesn't mean that they're just a terrible person. Like my uncle, man, my uncle is in prison, one of the best people I know, right? And he could be a product of his circumstances and situations because of the way we grew up. And so for me, I always felt as if I had been blessed with a gift and I didn't want to mess it up, right? And so when I was coming up in that two bedroom home with 14 people, the thing that I wanted to do more than anything was I wanted to make my mother proud because my mother was working a double shift at Wendy's and I wanted to make my grandmother proud. And I'm the type of person, I'm extremely loyal. And so I had a lot of people that helped me, man, that didn't have to, right? Like the cat played, paid for me to play ball, like out of his pocket, he didn't have to do that. And so for me, whenever people would do stuff for me, I was the type of person, I couldn't see myself doing something on the opposite end of that, letting them down because I knew they didn't have to do it. No cat had to come to my house and be like, oh, this cat growing up, two-bedroom house, 14 people, let me help him. We weren't their responsibility. Like, the way my mother raised me was, ink. the world don't owe you nothing, right? right? If you're going to make somebody yourself, get up and make it happen, right? And so me watching her work a double shift and coming home, driving an old beat-up Buick Regal, hubcaps off the car, seats torn up, 
and not making an excuse, it shaped my mentality and my perspective and my spirit and the way I live my life. And so when I got to Tennessee, Tennessee was gravy for me, right? It was, it was gravy. The journey getting there wasn't so much of gravy, but when I got there, it was gravy. Ink, what does that look like, man? Because that blew my mind. Well, I ain't grow, I ain't grow up with no silver spoon in my mouth, but mm -hmm. 14 in a two-bedroom? Yeah, yeah. What happens at 11 o'clock at night? Like, wh where do people go? Yeah, what do yeah. people do? Yeah, yeah, we on them pallets, man. We pull out them <laughs> sheets. We on them pallets, right? That's, that's the beauty of it, right? You there with your cousins. Well, it's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse, right? Because many nights you will be on that pallet and you will be talking to your cousins and sometimes you had questions. Like I would always say, sometimes I was on the floor and I wish I was under the same roof as my father, right? Because of some of the things I would see and I wish I could come home and say, hey, Pops, man, I saw this today. Like, what's your thought process on that? But me and my cousins would pitch and catch about it and we would try to figure out life together. We had our uncles and stuff like that. But the beauty of it was it made you grateful, right? When you would wear a shirt on Monday, your cousin would wear it on Tuesday, your other cousin would wear it on Wednesday, and y'all would go to the same school. Right. And cats knew y'all was wearing the same clothes. It's all good. Right. It made you grateful when you couldn't just go in there and ask for something to eat and be like, no, nah, I don't want that. You had to eat whatever got put on the table. Yeah. Right. And you had to finish it. You know what I'm saying? And so it created a certain spirit to where I was grateful. I made the best of it and I wasn't tripping like it wasn't like we was growing up and it was like every single day we would get up and be like, oh, man, we growing up like this. Not nah, like the neighbors was living that way as well. Right. And so it was just the environment we was in, and we made the best out of it. But I, I loved it, man. I loved it. Was there a point, because we had similar situations. Uh, I recall that so vividly, man. Boiling the hot water, yeah, yeah. pouring it in the tub, sharing the food, being, just learning how to be grateful. Absolutely. And I think, uh, at least my kids, I'm going to show them this, this episode. They got to listen to you. Was there ever a point when you told your mom, look, I got you? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, whatever it is, whatever it takes, no, I got you. I'm going to get us out of this situation or I'm going to uh, pay you back for everything that you've done for me. Absolutely. Man, me and my mom would be in the park um, when she would get off her shift and she would come in and I would, I would hug her, I would kiss her. I would say, Mom, if you don't mind, can you turn on your car lights? All right, I got to do some extra drills. I got to make it to the league. Just a, a kid with a dream, you know what I'm saying? And she would sit there and she never was like, nah, income tired, let's go. And she had every right to do it. And if she would have said it, I'd have got my butt in the car and it would have been all good. I wouldn't have felt any way about it. But when she would do that, I would be like, man, I'm going to make good on these sacrifices. Like, I got you. Right? And I don't think it mattered to her either way. Like, my mom wasn't the type that she was tripping on. Like, oh, Ink, you got to make it. Right? You got to make it and you got to take My mom never said that to me. That was something that I wanted to do personally because I felt as if it was the vehicle that I could help take care of my family. And so when I was young, I was saying it, but she never put that type of pressure on me to where she was just like, Ink, you gotta do this, which I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, I watch, you know, so much uh, of your stuff and then studying for this and seeing where you came from and all those things, I was like, oh, Ink actually kind of hood. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like Ink, Ink, Ink grew up, because you know, it's just the, the eloquence in, in which you speak, right? I don't use, he's articulate. Right. Right. I think that's a, a cop-out as, as, as opposed to what, right? Mm -hmm. The eloquence in, in which you speak, it shows not only experience, but it shows education, it shows, it shows study. But you talked about telling your mom, cut the lights on, Absolutely. right? So, so I can go do extra drills and, and having that dream. 
you know, you, you, you get to Tennessee, your sophomore year, you begin to play, and there's a night where that dream ends. Absolutely. Can you take us through the night, what, what, what led up to the hit? What's the feeling when you're on the ground and you're trying to figure out what's going on with you and then the, the start that turned you into the inky we know now? Yeah, man, it was, um, it was September 9th, 2006. I remember it vividly. We was playing against Air Force my junior year at the University of Tennessee. I was starting that corner in my second year as a starter. It was the fourth quarter of the game, a little bit over two minutes left, and uh, Air Force had the ball, and we was up. And so we break the huddle. At the time, Gerard Mayo, uh, he was our captain, mm -hmm. right? And he called the play, and as we break the huddle, we had quarters coverage. And so you know, I had a quarter, keeping everything back to front. Play starts to unfold. I'm looking at the quarterback. He's tapping the ball. Cat's running their routes. Quarterback looks in my direction, releases it. Cat catches it. I go to make a routine tackle. So I thought. And so when I roll up to hit him at the point of contact, as soon as I make contact, it seemed as if everything in my body just left. Right? My body went completely limp. I fell to the ground. I blacked out. Never experienced anything like that before. Been in a lot harder collisions. And when my eyes opened, my teammates were over me. They was like, ain't get up, let's go. And I was like, I can't. And it was a shock at the time. It was going from the crown of my head to the bottom of my feet, one of the scariest moments of my life. And then it eventually left, but it stayed in my right arm and hand. I thought it was just a stinger or a broken arm. And they brought the spine board out, took me off the field, and they get me to the hospital. And they was just telling me, like, we're going to take you back, run a couple tests, you know, put you in a room and see what's up. And so I didn't think... It was anything serious, right? I still couldn't really feel my arm, but I thought it was probably broken, stinger. I didn't think it was anything life-threatening. And so when they ran the test, they brought me back into the room. My mom came in, she kissed me on my forehead, cracked a joke. She walked out, and when she walked out, I flipped my head to the left, and I remember seeing the head doctor come in. And he was saying, guys, guys, get in here. We gotta rush this kid back to emergency surgery. He's about to die, and I thought he was joking. Right, because I had been there and everything was so calm. And I was like, like, die? Like, away from me? <laughs> like, die? Right. And he was like, yeah. I was like, what happened? It's like, we ran the test. We noticed you ruptured your subclavian artery in your chest. You're bleeding internally. So we got to rush you back and take the main vein out of your left leg and plug it into your chest in order to save your life. He said, oh, I guarantee you, you won't be alive in the morning. You'll bleed out. And I was like, let's go. And the next morning, I woke up. I had six incisions down my left eye. One incision across the left side of my neck, one across the right, twice through my right rib, cut out my right pec, bottom of my armpit to the bottom of my hand, 350 staples in my body, and they had bandaged me from my neck to my knees because I tore the nerves in my brachial plexus, which are the nerve roots that go from your spine that control shoulder, arm, hand, fingers. And so at the point of contact, what happened was when I went to hit him, at the last minute, he made a slight shift. When he made the slight shift, his helmet hit me between my shoulder and my neck. So I sent my neck one way, shoulder opposite way, ruptured the artery, tore the nerves from my spine, and it paralyzed my right arm and hand. Ended my career. Oh. So when you see or hear the doctor come in the room and you say, all right, let's go, because he's explained to you, this is what's happening, this is what's going on, and in your mind, this is how I gotta save my life. At that point, though, are you thinking about anything else or is it just about living? Because 
Like I, I know, I know for me, the the thought of okay, you're never going to get to do the one thing you love more than anything ever again. Absolutely. Could you even think of that in that moment, or was it just too fast? It was too fast. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I it didn't cross my mind. You know, like I didn't think I could lose it all in a moment. You know, like you hear this stuff coming up. Like you, your career can end, like something can happen, but it's the bravado of a young athlete, of a cat when he plays ball, you thinking, yeah, that's cool, but it ain't gonna happen to me, right? Like you just got that thought in your head. And so e even when they said they had to save my life, I'm still thinking like, even when they save my life, like I'm gonna come back, right? Like that's my train of thought. Like it happened so fast, I never thought like, all right, and they save my life, tomorrow when I wake up, my career gonna be done. Even when my career was done, I didn't think my career was done. I couldn't believe it. It was surreal. How long did the why me moments last? Two years. Two years, a solid two years. And the reason I would say two years is because with a brachial plexus avulsion, that's like the time frame they give you if you're gonna get anything back, right? They put you in a two year process and they say, all right, if something is gonna come back, cause I had no feeling, no movement, if something is gonna come back, it's gonna come back in a two year time frame. But within those two years, it's all type of tests being done. They sending me up to the Mayo Clinic, they shooting dye in my back with long needles. Like it's just a strenuous process. And so it took me about two to come to a level of peace to where I was like, all right, it might be done. But in that time frame though, much like RC was saying, you know, you could have falling into depression, mm -hmm. just giving up on everything. Yeah. But instead of that, you, you, you pivoted, right? No you, question. You parlayed that into pretty much where you are now mm -hmm. in life. Why didn't you quit? Just being real with you, Fred, like, I wasn't raised like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I could lose everything, bro, like, and I'm gonna still scrap. Like, that's just how I was raised. That's how my mother raised me. And so even when my career ended, like I was raised a certain way to do the right thing in spite of. My whole life, I never had everything I felt I needed, right? I always felt like I was going against the odds my whole life, and so I'm comfortable there, right? Whereas most cats, when they in that space and place, it's very uncomfortable. I'm very comfortable in opposition. Like I'm very comfortable in adversity. I'm very comfortable when I don't have all the resources. I'm very comfortable when I lose things, because that was my life, right? It's like Bane and Batman. When Bane told Batman, you adopted the dark, I was born in it, right? And so I was very comfortable there. And so even when it happened, I was still going to rehab, I was still showing up, going to workouts with my teammates, I was still going to meetings with this false thought that, man, at the end of the two, I'm gonna be back. Right. I'm gonna be stronger than ever. And I had a day, man, in, um, in the indoor football facility to where it just hit me. Like I went to one of my rehab sessions and I had been going for a while and I wasn't seeing nothing, like no results. I'm talking about every time I would go, they would have a different device they would try out and it would be nothing. And one day I went out on the turf in the indoor and I just broke down, bro. It was like, it was freedom, right? It was tough, it was heavy, cried. And on the opposite side of that, it was like, all right, you got it out. Like, let's move forward now. But I had been holding that for two years until that day when it hit and reality set in like, nah, Inc., it's, it's done.
Like, it's a wrap. Like, it's time to close this chapter. That was a hard day for me. And that next day you woke up, bro, because you grind from living with 14 people in a two-bedroom. Mm. You grind to get to Tennessee, Absolutely. playing ball. One hit against Air Force, you still grinding. You, got, you say it, your mama ain't raised you like that. You still Absolutely. grinding. And that day that you broke down and got to a point that I need to find something else to do. Mm-hmm. Like, this football shit ain't with, it's not going to be there no more. Like, bro, that realization, yeah. but that next morning, yeah. I think that, just listen to it, bro. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm tearing up a little bit too, but just listen to it. That next morning, how did, how did Inky Johnson that we all know, all the followers, all mm. us watch your stuff, was it created in that realization mm. of this football shit's gone? Yeah. I think a little bit of it was created in that moment, but I think also it had been cultivated over the years. And so just to explain my train of thought, so when we tell a cat, all of us play ball, right, and come from that background. And so when you tell a cat every single day, all right, man, you got to be dedicated. You got to be committed. You got to work hard. You talk to young cats, kids. We got kids. And you tell them and you stress the importance of, hey, man, show up on time, right? Do what you got to do, right? Like handle your business a certain way. And cats don't really see the value in it, right? right? Cats go, yeah, it's cute. Like, that sounds good. Yeah, I hear you. Why me? Like, I ain't got to do that. Cats say all type of stuff. Cats got all type of response. I'm paid already. Cats got all type of responses, right? Until something real happens, like a real situation, to where it don't matter how much money you got. It don't matter what type of car you got. It don't matter square footage of your house. Like a real deal situation. Like when a cat's wife gets sick, when your children get sick, when you're in the emergency room with your family, right? Don't none of that other stuff matter, right? But the work that you put in every single day, the mindset that you cultivate every single day, the spirit that you cultivate every single day, the work ethic, the dedication of commitment, that's you, right? That's your essence. That's your ethos. That's who you are, right? Like I'm ink. Like I believe it with every, every ounce of the word when I tell a cat, my arm and my hand paralyzed, my heart isn't. It isn't. Right. Like my arm and my hand is paralyzed, my mentality, it isn't. My dedication, my commitment level isn't. And so the next day for me was, all right, bro, regular schedule programming. Let's rock. Right? Because I didn't have anything to go back to. Yeah. Like, well, I'm going to go back to a pallet? I done came all this way right. to go yeah. back to the floor at my grandma's house? Yeah. So they can say, ain't good run, bro. You went farther than anybody that's ever went in our family. Come back to the trap. Nah. I'm going to finish what I started. I'm going to go on and get my degree. I'm going to show my little cousins when we encounter adversity and opposition, you keep it pushing. A lot of people done sacrificed for you to be in this moment. That's why it's hard for me to understand when a cat get in a certain situation and they trick it off. Yeah. That's hard for me. Like I tell cats all the time, the hardest part of my injury wasn't my injury. It wasn't. The hardest part of my injury was walking into a facility and seeing cats take it for granted every single day. Right. That was the hardest part for me. Knowing that a cat's mother had worked for them to be in that situation. Knowing that a coach had sacrificed to put them in that situation. Teachers believed in them put them in that situation, and cats came in every single day and treated it like it was nothing. They ain't talking about the league, whether you make it to the league or not. That's inconsequential. They ain't talking about the league. I'm talking about what will you do with the vehicle that you've been blessed with every single day to become a better man. That's it, right? And so for me, 
when I couldn't play no more, it hurt. I cried. It was probably the toughest thing I've ever been through in my life. But I had stock in a spirit that I had created from the time I was seven years old. That it wouldn't just let me, it wouldn't let me lay down. Camille. Yeah, <laughs> hey. I got quick, hey, friend. Yeah, quick, quick. Was that a blessing? Oof. Of course. Man. I don't know if you see what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But just listen to you, bro. This shit's deep. Like you said, hell with the league. You might not have made it. But I don't know if you would have been what you are now without that injury. No question. Can you ever look, can, can you look at that injury as a blessing, which is a crazy Absolutely. damn thing to say? Absolutely. 100%. And I can honestly say I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't a result of my injury. I 100% say it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be speaking. It doesn't match my personality. Like, that's why I'm so grateful to be able to do it because it's total opposite of my personality. My personality is more reserved, observed. Like, I don't, I don't speak. And so for me doing it, I'm grateful for it because I know it's being orchestrated by a power that was a lot greater than me. And so I look at it as a 100% blessing. And I can 100% say if my injury didn't happen, I wouldn't be doing it. Just, just yeah. listening to you describe, you know, that, that day, you know, was it September 9th, 2006 Absolutely. versus Air Force. Step for step, play for play, each and every second, just going back through it. And I wanted to ask you, you know, how often does that replay in your head? But we can yeah. save it. You know, uh, the circumstances in which you came up, you know, as a kid that, that got you to Tennessee, all the different adversities that you've gone through, to hear you passionately just turn it on right now. You know, this is your game day. Speaking and trying to get other, everybody in play, I can tell is your game day. And we're getting it for free. Right? <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm we're getting it for free. Bro, I stopped doing the show for like five minutes just now. And my eyes is watering. I was fired up. I, I teared up too. But um, I guess with your transition, I do want to transition into that. Uh, what's your ticket, bro? Yeah, yeah. Like, what's no, the no, no, What no, it no. costs <laughs> to get you to speak? It's different, man. man. It's different. It depends on the scope of work, man. <laughs> it's different. But I will tell you this. It has changed, right? Because... You know, when I first started doing it, man, I was so grateful for the opportunity just to be asked to do it. You know, I never thought I would be doing it. Right. And so I was just going into a room and I would prepare and I would try to do my best in terms of the opportunity. But I'll never forget, man, I was in a room one day and I was speaking on a bill and there were several cats speaking. And um, a cat came in who was on the show, like a cat was running the show, the program. And it was me and like three other speakers in the room. And the cat came in and he was like, hey, man, uh, can y'all exit the room? Like, my man want to come in the room. He want to have the room to himself. It was another speaker. So I wasn't tripping. I'm like, all right, cool, my man, get the room. But the other cats was like, they couldn't believe it. Like, they was like, what? He want the room? All of us speaking. You know what I'm saying? And so they was like, my man wants some water, all type of stuff. And so we standing outside and it's hot. And my man get the room to himself. And one of the dudes that was on the program came over to me. He was like, I want to talk to you. And so I was like, bet, what's up? He was like, no, nah, let's walk and talk. He was like, uh, you see all them cats over there? I was like, yeah. He was like, all them getting paid more than you. Mm. I was like, okay. He was like, and you better than all them. And he was like, not only are you better than them, he was like, you care more than them. It's like, it ain't nothing against them, but it's like, bro, I don't talk to them. I don't care. Like, this is a transaction for him. Right. 
And I was like, all right. He was like, man, don't be out here on the road and traveling and doing that to your family. Wasting time. Right. I was like, I got it. Respect. And so at that point, it changed everything in terms of business structure, in terms of opportunity, in terms of preparation. You know, I view it, I view it different, right? Because I know, just being real, man, I know I done been in a room to where I done walked in a room and I'm the only black cat there, young brother. And I could feel it when I walk on the stage, cat suited and booted like, what well, my man got to say to us, right? I ain't knocking it. I respect it. I get it. Cat, 30 years my senior, like I get it. I respect it. Right? But I'm going to handle the opportunity the right way and I'm going to do what I got to do because I feel like I'm being trusted to steward the opportunity so the next young brother that comes behind me that does what I do can get the opportunity to do it again. And so I ain't tripping, man. Like every opportunity I get, I feel like you get what you give in life. If I steward the opportunity, I'm going to get what I'm doing. Right? And so for me, that's how I view it. That's how I look at it. But yeah, man, I, I, I done been blessed. It's all good. Like that to me is down the line. Right, we, we all eventually hope we understand our worth. Absolutely. Right? And, and, and in understanding our worth, we also learn and realize whether it's football, doing what you do, you kind of end up being worth what people are paid. Mm -hmm. So, but before you get to that, like you gotta find that passion. Absolutely. Like I tell people all the time, I was very little, I was four years old, my dad was coaching a football team and I was on the side playing throw up tackle with just like the regular kids because I wasn't old enough and I was killing them. Yeah. And the coach was like, asked my dad, because my dad was coaching, like, why don't he play? And he was like, well, he's too young. Coach was like, he could do something. And I remember playing defensive end. My dad gave me one rule, keep contain. Right? And I was <laughs> wide as, yeah, I was wide right. as hell. Force everything. Right? I was force everything in, force everything back. But the point, my point in, in, in reliving that story was from the time I touched the football, I knew exactly what to do with it. Mm. Right? You are one of the most dynamic, impactful uh, speakers I have ever heard. Thank you, man. Right? Thank you. We knew when we touched the football man. that that was a talent that could Thank be something. You. When did you know that this could be something that was not only a career, but a passion for you that changed lives? Um, one of my first gigs was in the backwoods of Mississippi. And uh, at the time, I didn't have a contract. I didn't have a rider. I didn't, like, nothing. I was just going on the strength of the opportunity. And I went to one of these places in Mississippi. And at the time, I had just moved back to Atlanta. And so I was leaving from being a graduate assistant. I was on Kiffin's staff. Kiffin went out to USC, offered me an opportunity to come with him. My wife had got pregnant with our daughter, Jada. And she was like, Inc., we got to make a decision. So I made the decision to move back to Atlanta, to the same neighborhood I grew up in, a couple blocks away, to work at the rec center to create leadership curriculum for the kids in my neighborhood. The plan was never to speak, right? I remember the cat telling me like, man, we could pay you like 20,000. I was like, bet, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, bet, I'm gonna be there in a few days, right? And I go back and I go there to the rec center and they was like, oh man, we meant to tell you, man, you overqualified. And I was like, overqualified, it's a rec center, man. You got two degrees. They was like, yeah, bro, we don't know what to tell you. And at the time, I was getting little opportunities here and there. And cats would tell me, like, man, you need to speak. And I was like, nah, I'm cool on that. And I took this opportunity in Mississippi. And I'll never forget, I pull up late night, and I'm in a field. Like, it's a barn in the back. I see strobe lights. I'm texting my cousins. I'm like, bro, if y'all don't hear from me in a few hours, <laughs> like, this is where I'm at. Like, I'm in one of those places, right? 
and a gentleman comes out, man, nice as all get out. And he was like, hey, man, this is my property. I'm doing this for the kids here, right? Hope it's a great experience. And I go and I speak. And I get back home, like, mid-morning. My wife waited up on me. And she was like, Ink, how did it go? I was like, babe, it went great. She was like, what they give you? Like, what they pay you? And I was like, man, they gave me this cool coffee mug. And she was like, you sure this is what you're supposed to be doing? I was like, yeah, it felt right. And she was like, all right, go for it. And at that moment, man, I knew. Like, I felt it. When I spoke to them kids in Mississippi, in that field, in that barn, like, I felt it. I got a similar feeling that I got when I would be in the tunnel at Tennessee getting ready to run into that stadium and run through that tee. Like, I just got the feeling, regardless of what anybody would have said beyond that day, when I got that feeling, that was God's confirmation to me, like, Ink, I got you. Right? I got you. Now you just got to have the faith to trust it. And so from that day moving forward, I just wanted to be obedient to what I felt God had called me to do with my life. How does it shut off? Yeah. Right? Because like even here, like my, my whole thought was, I'm going to get ink out of that space. Yeah. Right? Like, like, like out of the space of, of educating us, out of the space yeah. of, of, <laughs> no. of, of, of motivating us. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I want to talk to him. About yeah. like some, I'm gonna get him in a second. Ah, yeah, yeah, Lord yeah, have mercy. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I, was like you know, I want to talk to him about some real stuff. Like, yeah. how does that shut off for you, the the, the father, right? Absolutely. The 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 husband. Yeah, yeah. You know, what I mean, when that guy comes into play, obviously you draw off of all of your own experiences. Mm-hmm. But is that when we see the ink, like you said, that's reserved, yeah. that that sits back, that, that yeah. that's quiet. Yeah, man, I'm I'm chill, man. My personality is chill. It's um it's just when I talk about stuff that I'm passionate about and uh things that I'm involved in, like I get ramped up. But just in terms of my personality, like my kids, my wife, my mom, my little sisters, like if you ask them like who is Ink, they're gonna be like, he chill, he's silly. Right? Like it's a totally different person, like when I step on stage because I'm speaking about things that are real to me. Right. And so it's just who I am when I do that. But just in terms of my personality as a person, I'm chill, I'm reserved, I'm laid back and I just chill, man. Do they know yeah. who you are, though? Like like yeah. in the like in your house, yeah, yeah. like, you know, what I'm saying like, you know, like we all play ball. My yeah. kids could care less. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like my, like my son, my son balls now, yeah. my son balls now. And he knows like he looks back on it and he like really appreciates what I did, how I worked, what I went through, mm-hmm. like all those dope things. But like when they were kids, it's like, ah, dad's going to work. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Hey, to, to, hey, to, yeah. hey Jordan like me more than he like him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is probably true. He's 21, so he came to Miami, I told him a good time. Joe my man, Joe my man. That's probably true. You know what I'm saying? Like, do they get it? And then yeah. do they get a little bit of that sometimes? Yeah. You like when your kids brushing your teeth, you gonna brush no, your teeth not. better than anybody <laughs> ever brushed their teeth. You gonna oh, amadestrally brush your teeth. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you do you really? Hey, no, hey, man, I vow I, I to not be that dude, man. I vow, bro. Like, but nah, man, they don't really be tripping on it, man. Even my wife, like, that's one of the reasons why I love my wife. Like, man, her been at it since fifth grade. Wow. Like, she ain't never cared about. No ball, no sports. Like, she just never been about that. Like, she is who she is. She loved me for who I am. But my family don't really trip on it, man, because they just see me as dad. My wife see me as a husband. My mom see me as a son. My little sister see me as their big brother. 
you know, but they don't really be tripping on that, man. They, they no, like, I do. I'd be like, here, do something. Well, she, you said yesterday yeah, yeah, that yeah, you yeah. got to be accountable every day. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your accountability? Uh, no, hey, no, what? That's a good ass question. Hey, yeah, what yeah. about when you mess up? Yeah, all the time. So you done been inspiring all, all these the people time. and then you mess up. Oh. How does that go? Anybody throw it back at oh, you? Oh, you already know. My <laughs> wife going to throw it at me. I'm talking about every time. My daughter yeah. throw it at me. Got 11-year-old daughter, my son 10. But absolutely, man, all the time. And it's good for me. I Like, I need it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I need it in the worst way in terms of my development and my self-mastery. But, like, I tell people all the time, early in my career, man, I made a, I made a big mistake. And um, I saw a side of my wife that I hadn't seen. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hadn't even seen this version. And I had been knowing her since 10. Yeah. And so when I first start speaking, man, I'm getting opportunities. Then I start getting paid, and I'm running from poverty. You know what I'm saying? I'm running from my childhood. I'm speaking. I'm taking every opportunity. And I get an opportunity that comes. It's going to pay me more than I'd ever been paid at the time. And, like, I'm like, man, bet. Like, I can't wait to do it. And they send a date through. And the date falls on my wife's birthday. And I'm like, damn, man. And then I start working it out. I'm like, bet she'll ride with it. I'm trying to work the situation out. <laughs> I start negotiating. I'm talking for my wife, right? So by the time when I get to my wife, I done buttered it up. I done made it sweet. And she can see how excited I am. She's like, bet, no problem. Do it. I'm like, yeah, man, I go speak. I can send you and grandma to the spa. You know, then I fly back in later that day. We'll go to dinner. Smooth. She's like, bet, okay, good. We do it. Everything goes great. I would say two days later, it was something small, man. It might have been like some socks in the dryer or something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bro. She spazzed on me. <laughs> and I knew exactly what it was. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? I knew. I knew it. Because I felt it and I shouldn't have did it. You know what I'm saying? But my intentions was right, but I made the wrong decision. And so when I did it, she spazzed and I knew. I was like, man, she felt as if I didn't value her and I valued the opportunity and the money over my wife's birthday. Right. And I would never get that moment back again. And so it was a vital lesson for me. And she had grace with me in that moment and she got on me about it and I grew from it. But I needed that moment. Right. To make that mistake early on. So later on, I wouldn't make a bigger mistake. But, yeah, she give it to me, though, for sure. For sure. For sure. The, you know, like what's crazy is, you know, now um, you're doing this and this is like way back, like way off the subject. And, you know, we're talking about different talents. You know what I'm saying? I don't have a lot of them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I have learned I'm only going to do stuff I'm good at. Absolutely. And, like, if I ain't good at it, like, I ain't really tripping on it. Like, people, like, go golf. For what? <laughs> like, so I can go out there and be hot as hell and suck? <laughs> no I'm doubt. cool on that. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Right? But, you know, you mentioned working with Kiffin and, mm. you know, being at Tennessee. Absolutely. You know? And you talked to me about a camp yeah, that, yeah. that you guys had. And, listen, I, I'm on here with two Gators every day. So, anytime yeah, I get yeah. a chance to talk about a Tiger... I'm gonna yeah. talk about it. You said Tyron Matthew mm -hmm. came through Tennessee. And like Absolutely. sometimes I feel like the gifts that people have aren't necessarily recognized or appreciated. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about the meeting after you watched Tyron at camp. Yeah, and so you know how like at the college when they had a camp and the high school cats come up and I was a graduate assistant at the time and Tyron came up and there was a bunch of cats from I think St. All. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's the only all-black uh, Catholic school in New Orleans. Yeah, it was a bunch of them cats, man. And um, I saw this little cat, man, Tyron, and he was doing the DB drills. They was doing one-on-ones. 
And I'm talking about whether a cat would catch the ball or he would break the pass up. I'm talking about my man just, he dogging the line. Like every time he'll do a rep, he'll run back up, get the next rep. Until my cat's on the side like, coach, man, my man won't, won't let me go. Like he keep going. And so we had a staff meeting and they just going around the room and they like, did anybody stand out, you know, that you guys can speak about today? And of course, I'm just a GA, so I'm on the wall in the back of the room. And so when they got in my area, I was trying to let them, I'm like, hey man, it's just Cat, Tyron, and Matthew. And so one of them was like, ah, I don't know, man, too small, too slow. I can't remember who said it. And then they just passed on. And so I heard he was going to LSU the next week. And Chavis, who was my D coordinator at Tennessee, was at LSU. And I was like, when he go to LSU, Chief going off. That's what we call Chavis. I was like, Chief going off him. And sure enough, he went to LSU the next week, and Chief offered him. But I was like, man, if we could have had that cat and Eric Berry, man, I think we'd have had something special. I'm glad you brought that up, actually. Uh, Eric Berry is one of my favorite players. Oh, that's my guy. Time. One, Sean Taylor is obviously my favorite player. He didn't wear gloves and he taped his fingers. Yeah, yeah. And EB Absolutely. would not wear gloves and yeah. tape his fingers. I think EB was like 14 or something. Yeah, he's 14. In, in, in college, but he was 29. Yeah, yeah. For the Kansas City Chiefs. And there was a reason he, he picked that number. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with him? Yeah, EB, man. EB is like a little brother to me, man. Um, when he got drafted, I'll never forget when he called me and he was like, um, big bro, I'm gonna wear 29. And I was like, man, you ain't gotta do that. And I was like, bro, your dad played. Like, where your dad number? You know what I'm saying? You're a great player. Like, just rock your own number. You ain't gotta wear a number for me. And he was like, nah, man, you don't know what you did for me. He's like, I wanna honor you, man. I'm gonna do that. And um, it meant a lot to me, man. It meant a lot to my family because we all know how EB plays the game. And to be able to watch him every Sunday when he did play, like it was special for me and my family, right? Because we knew what that number meant, but also just the relationship that me and EB cultivated. Like when he first got there, I had that cat write down every goal he wanted to accomplish. I still got the papers in my office at my house. Everything he wrote down, he accomplished at Tennessee. Like every single one of them, I still got it on a notebook piece of paper at my house in my office. Right, and so for us, even when he encountered cancer, right, I remember taking him to breakfast in Atlanta at Homegrown on the east side of town. And I was talking to him and he was telling me his chemo schedule. You know what I'm saying? I get emotional talking about him because he mean that much to me. And he was telling me his chemo schedule. And I was like, bro, we gonna treat this like, like camp. Every single day you show up, you do your thing, you handle your business and you gonna beat it. You know what I'm saying? I remember seeing him we was at church, and uh, this was when his hair was coming out. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and I saw him, and I saw his spirit. His spirit was still strong, right? But his hair was coming out at the time. And I was like, how you doing, man? How you doing, Tuna? You good? He's like, I ain't come good. He's like, I'm getting through it, bro. I'm good. And then I was in the stadium his first game back. You know what I'm saying? And it was special. And so for me, and EB, man, I... Uh, <clears throat> I got a lot of love for that cat. You know what I'm saying? That's like a, that's like a brother to me. You know what I'm saying? A little brother. Yeah. You, you mentioned, you know, talking about his schedule. Did you draw back on anything you went through with your injury to try to help Eric get through what he was going through? Absolutely. Absolutely. But 
you know, also, man, EB comes from a great family. I'm saying great mother, great father, little brothers. And so his foundation was set, you know what I'm saying? He comes from a great, great infrastructure, but also just, I feel like we all go through things in life, not only just for us. Like, I think it's certain experiences that we have and we encounter. So once we get on the other side of it and another cat comes along that encounters something to the extent of what we went through, we can share how we got through it, right? I think that's the blessing of it. Like it says in the Bible, overcome us by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so that's why when we hear cats share something that we can relate to, we like, bro, like respect, you know what I'm saying? And so for me, I felt as if I'd encountered this and got through it. So when another cat encountered a struggle, you know, around the game or in the game, I can come along and not try to share with them how they need to deal with it. But like, hey, bro, listen, man, I'm here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's the difference between sympathy and empathy. I think empathy is a powerful tool. Sympathy is when somebody goes through something, Fred go through something, just like, man, Fred, tough break, bro. Bad state of affairs. Chan go through something, bro, tough break. But empathy, like, no, nah, I'm gonna come there, bro. I'm here if you need me. I'll walk with you if you need me. You know what I'm saying? Because I done went through something that I done extracted something from it that I feel I can apply to your situation and add a certain level of value. You know, people hear you speak all the time. And uh, in that, you know, they tend to develop their own perception of you and your situation. But we all know it ain't gravy. No question. No, they see us on here every week and they think these guys got it in order. And we don't, right? Hell no. (laughs) Right. Um, What are some of your greater challenges, Mm -hmm. you know, in your current situation? One of my biggest challenges, even when I I got hurt, um, was just asking for help. You know what I'm saying? Like, coming up, man, I think the blessing and the curse of growing up the way I grew up with this mentality of, all right, man, you get it how you live. You know, you handle your business. You get up, you make it happen, right? Like, I'll never forget saying to my cousin one day, like, bro, some of the things we got taught, it ain't nothing against the people that taught them to us, but but that was wrong, right? We can seek insight. We can seek advice. We ain't always got to be the cat with the bravado. You know what I'm saying? We can go to people and seek wisdom, right? We can go to people and ask for help in certain areas that were not as strong. And so for me, that was always a challenge for me, even when I got injured to come to somebody and say, hey man, can you help me with that? Or hey man, can you help me expand my thought process and perspective with this? Because of the way I grew up, I didn't experience much and it was all good and it served me well, right? On the level I was on, but when I started growing and evolving and experiencing certain areas and aspects of life, I needed some insight and advice and I had to drop my pride and be willing to ask for help. You know, and also one of the things that I struggle with just as a man um, is like, I got the perspective that adults know what they're doing. Like when they do certain things, they know the intent, they know the intentions, and they know why they're doing it. And so I'm the type of person, I ain't really gonna ask you to explain why you did it. I ain't gonna come to you and be like, hey bro, why you did that? Like you 15, I might come to you and say, hey youngin, hey whoop a snapper. Let me holler at you real quick because you probably don't understand layers in what you just did. Right. But with an adult, I don't always be like, hey, man, let me talk to you. Let's talk this out real quick. I'll just bounce, right? And we'll just never probably communicate again. And that's a struggle of mine because I felt as if 
that was a layer that I added on in my childhood when my father wasn't present. And that's how I got through it, right? And so even when I relate, like our, our relationship is great now, right? That's my dude, right? Great grandfather, that's my man. But it was a coping mechanism when I was young that when he wasn't present, that I could just cut people off and keep it pushing. And now as an adult, it's certain times that maybe I do need to have that dialogue. Maybe I do need to converse with this person, right? And I don't always do that. And my wife, I'm, I'm thankful and I'm grateful for her because she challenges me sometimes on that with different people. And I need to grow in that area as a man, yeah. Is it difficult asking for help these days or is it, do you have some sort of routine where the kids just enjoy <laughs> helping pops with whatever he needs help with? No, nah, they help me, man. Uh, but sometimes it is, you know what I'm saying? Just being real because like when you go through something like this, I tell people all the time, like, it's a blessing to live with adversity, right? Every single day I encounter something that I can't do that I used to be able to do because of the nature of my arm, right? Yesterday, me and my daughter, I picked my daughter up from practice yesterday. And I thought we had had enough encounters and interactions that, you know, about my arm, that she had asked questions that she wanted to ask. I thought we was just in a solid place. And yesterday I pick her up and I'm, Jay, how you practice go, Jay? Practice went great, Dad. She's like, Dad, can I ask you something? I was like, yeah, sure, far away. And she was like, can you tell me why is that arm, your right arm, smaller than the other arm? She's like, can you just tell me why is it? Like, I see it, but can you tell me why is it? So I went to explain, I'm like, Jada, like, you got atrophy that happens, but I got a big scar down my arm from surgery. And I was like, my arm doesn't work the way your arm works, right? Like, I don't have filling in my arm. I got paralysis. I can't use it, right? And so naturally, because I can't use it, I can't build muscle. I can't do anything. And so she was like, okay. And she was like, when people grab it, like if somebody grabs it, does it hurt? I was like, yeah, that's why I wear the sleeve most of the time, right? I wear it so if I'm out in public, if a person grabs this arm, like because I got nerve grabs, like it'll shoot a pain up through my arm and through my chest that's like, it's like unbelievable. You know what I'm saying? And so I wear it more so out of awareness, right? That if I'm out and a cat see it and a cat's like, oh, because if I'm in the airport, most of the time, a cat think it's a prosthetic. Right. And it's not. But I got their awareness enough to where they won't hit it. Cat won't walk up and just grab it. And so for me, yeah, it's tough, man. But like like that dialogue yesterday with my daughter, it was refreshing and I didn't expect it. But it was good for both of us. Was amputation ever on the table at any point? I think they discussed it. But when they came to that two year point and they was like, if anything is going to come back, you know, it'll probably be in a two year time frame. We was like, bet, let's see what comes back. And so even after the two years, they've came to me and been like, hey, Ink, you want to go here and try this option? They got this. But I've been like, nah, man, because like it took so much out of me. You know what I'm saying? Like it took a lot out of me, man. When I went through those surgeries, it took a lot out of me. And so now having a wife and having children and I captured peace. Yeah. It took me a long time to get there. Right. I remember when this first happened, bro, and I would go out. And when you got something like this that happens, people look, you know what I'm saying? And when I first used to go out and somebody would look at my arm, like it bothered me. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, cat just looking at me, right. right? Like, man, what is that? You know what I'm saying? Without asking a question or cat might just look at you and shy away. That, that hurt more than anything, right? In the early years when it first happened. 
And so once I captured peace and I was cool with it, like, because even till this day, I go out with my family, cats still gonna look and be like, what's going on? But I'm in such a place of peace because I've had to deal with it for so long. I'm cool that I don't even want to encounter another option because I know how much it took out of me. And I don't want my family to have to deal with that and go through that. And so now I'm in such a place to where it's like, man, I'm all good. I'm living with it. And I consider it a blessing and something that I could use every single day of my life, whether it be to spark dialogue, whether it be for a person to ask me a question, or whether it be to just serve as a blessing to the world. And then I want to ask, man, with, uh, like you said, you like to touch people. That's what I got with the, with the, with the Barry story, EB story. Yeah. You like to touch people. You want to be a part of people's lives. Yeah. You were coaching, and now you're speaking. You think you could touch more dudes coaching? Because yeah. you have a baby. You walk in a room for an hour, and you're gone. Yeah. Absolutely. Coaching, you could really sit down and get a relationship like you and EB had. Because no you touch more people coaching? Because you, I, thought about I don't want to say quit, but you no retired. <laughs> you retired from coaching. Career no change. No yeah, no there, we, there we go, Freddie. I pivoted, right? But I thought about it, man. Like, I thought, I thought that was the next step after my injury. I really did. I was like, man, it's a smooth transition. I can coach. I love the game. I love young cats, man. I feel like that'll be great. And so I thought that was the thing that I would be doing. And I often think about it even till this day. Like, I was with my son's team last year, right? And they was nine, but I loved it. You know what I'm saying? I had a great experience, but I stepped away from it because I didn't want my son to see me as dad and a coach every single day. You know what I'm saying? And so I stepped away from it so my man could just see me as his dad, you know, and not his coach. But I loved it. I thought I would be doing it. But you know, but you quit me down a different path. <laughs> He's a quitter. Hey, I pivoted. You know I, pivoted bro. I pivoted. I had to make a pivot, bro. You know, Inc. I, I, and we have been. You know, I think the the one thing about this show is is that we bring on people who have become very successful in a line of work, mm -hmm. or in a certain way that people see them every day. And I think we try to get to the root of what makes this person successful or what brought them to a certain place. And my last question would be, when you are speaking, do you go into every speaking engagement and think to, my, think to yourself, okay, I gotta realize who is in the room and what they need? Or is everything for you, I'm gonna draw off of my experience and from my experience, give them what I feel will help? Mm -hmm. How do you approach like Channing said, in touching people, how do you approach that when you do only have a select time to be in the room with those individuals? I want to be as effective as possible. And so the way I look at being as effective as possible, I need as much information as possible about the group that I'm going to serve. And so like me and Fred was talking about, like I'm going to go speak to Florida, University of Florida football team, you know, doing camp. And so before I go on that campus, I'm gonna have a lot of information, whether it be from coach, whether it be from player development, whether it be from a couple of the players. Like if I go speak to Chick-fil-A, I'm gonna have a lot of information before I walk into that room. Part of it is just respect for where I'm going. I want the people to know when I throw out certain verbiage, when I throw out certain terms to try to bridge the gap, I want them to know like, oh man, my man did his homework, right? Like he respects us enough 
to do his homework so when he steps on the stage, we can know that he's done some actual research and he's not just up here talking, mm -hmm. thinking that it's going to relate. You know, but also, from a preparation standpoint, I'm spirit-led as well. And so, I'm going to be honest, man, I was in a presentation once, and right as I was about to start, right, I'm talking, and then my spirit is saying, go a different direction, and I'm fighting it. And I look, and I'm peripheral, and I'm looking, and I see a guy get up from a table, and I could just see it, but the mic is here. And my man starts walking, and he just collapsed, bro, collapsed, Pew. Fall out. People start panicking. Ladies start screaming. They get the ambulance in there. They get my man woke up. They get him out of there. And at that moment, my spirit was like, I told you. Now pray. Right? But I'm like, man, I don't, I'm a spiritual cat. But I'm like, I ain't one of these cats that's just going to come and try to push my beliefs on you or you. I ain't that type of person, man. Like, you believe what you believe. It's cool. I got grace for everybody. And I prayed. Right? And when I prayed, I got done. The cat that brought me in said, man, um, I really think we brought you in just for that. Mm. He said, I don't think nobody else would have handled that situation the way you just handled it. Thank you. And so part of me is preparation, but part of me also, I have to trust my spirit is leading me in the right direction from my preparation. You've spoke across the globe, man. You've colleges, corporations, you know, just about anywhere. But your childhood dream, mm -hmm. make it to the NFL, right? Yeah. Is it different when you enter an NFL stadium? And uh, is there a specific speak that stands out to you that you would say it touched you a bit different mm -hmm. than speaking at other teams? I would say uh, I spoke to Tampa, man. And I got this speech on YouTube. It was a while ago. Every team, man, like sports. I do corporate. Corporate is probably my number one source of business, right? And it, it, it's not even close. Like corporate, corporate sales, like number one. Like it's not even close. And sports is probably two. But sports is where I'm in my element the most. And like I feel like I'm with the guys. You know what I'm saying? And, and they relate. But it's a speech I gave the Tampa Bay Bucks prepare for glory. And I feel like that was the rawest and most I've been in my element with the squad in a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's on YouTube and it's from a couple years ago. And uh, it was special, man. Like, I always think about it in terms of like, all right, I didn't make it to the league, but I made it. Yeah. Right? Because of the opportunities I get to go in and speak to the squads, right? The access I get. And so I'm grateful for all of it, man. Like, even like, like just breaking it down real quick, like I asked my partners, man, like, bro, do y'all realize how blessed and like how gifted y'all are, right? Even athletes to this day, I ask them all the time. I'm like, think about how many cats that started off with the dream or didn't start off with the dream, didn't want to do it, didn't care nothing about it, and they just played ball and it happened, right? Like it actual, actually happened. Like cats that started from seven, eight, nine, and it happened. <laughs> it's me. You know what I'm saying? Like it happened. You know what I'm saying? Like the dream actually manifested, like how much of a blessing that is, right? And so I always try to get cast to just be grateful for the opportunity that they have, right? But also not to take the opportunity for granted, right? Even if it doesn't go the way that you want it to go. The game is incredible. It's an incredible tool that I feel can prepare you for several phases of life. And so for me, when my injury happened, at the time it didn't feel good, 
right? But now I look at it as an extreme level of preparation, right? It just prepared me for the pivot, right? That's all it did. It prepared me for the pivot, right? The transition. When I had to be like, all right, bro, I can't do it. The game prepared me for the ultimate pivot in my life to my purpose, right? No doubt. And on the other side, have you ever said to hell with y'all, y'all motherfuckers ain't listening? Yeah. <laughs> like, no you ever walk and start talking and no be like, question. man, these motherfuckers don't care, man, hey, kiss my no ass. Oh, you already know. <laughs> you already know you're going to have some of them young cats, man. Yeah. Like, I had to tell a cat last week. He tried to bring me in to speak to some young kids, and he was like, Give him like 45. And I looked in the room. I was like, nah, eight minutes top. <laughs> He's like, what you mean, eight minutes? I'm like, man, you see them cats? Them cats ain't trying to hear that. You know what I'm saying? What you see my 45 minutes? You just know, yeah. right? And like everybody, like I tell cats all the time, it's hard for cats to understand. Like everybody don't need it. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody, some cats. Do they right? not need it or do they don't want it? Right. Some cats don't want it, but some cats like just self-starters, right? They'll listen to it like, like y'all, y'all pros, right? Y'all get to the point to where y'all are pro, right? A cat ain't got to come in and tell you how to operate. That's the challenge for me, even being labeled a motivational speaker. That's tough for me. I never called myself that. I never one time came out, hey man, motivational speaker. Because there's so much in the industry that's not authentic and genuine. It landed with us. I think the, the excitement was, was seeing... Uh, a different inky, and we got it for a little bit, you yeah, know. No and then every now and then no we question. ask the question, and you flip back into it. <laughs> uh, but I think I know. I know for us, it's about giving ourselves because I believe truly when we have men like you or women like you on the show, we take things away from it. And I've taken a lot away from this, but we also do it more so for the people that are watching. So from your experience, if you have a short time to give our viewers, our subscribers, just a, a message about persevering in life, what would that be? Man, always, always be willing to be stronger than your strongest excuse, right? Always be willing to be stronger than your strongest excuse. And also, always be willing to extend a level of grace to others and yourself, right? I think one of the toughest things for us as people in terms of the realm of forgiveness is sometimes forgiving ourselves, right, for our shortcomings and the mistakes that we may have made along the journey. But every single day, man, getting up, and as cliche as it sounds, when you tell a person, hey, man, don't take life for granted, right? And a cat will hear it, go in one ear, go out the other. But, bro, one of the most underrated blessings is leaving your house and making it back home every single day. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's an underrated blessing that we just assume it's going to happen. And every single day, cats leave the crib, and they don't make it back to their children. They don't make it back to their spouses. But we leave our house every single day. We just assume, like, man, I'm going to make it back. I'll see you later, right? And it's like, man, who promised you that? And so the mindset that I've acquired as a result of my injury is that, man, every single day, all that comes with it, right? Highs, lows, successes, failures, right? Tough moments, right? Great moments, all that comes with it, the totality of it. Appreciate all of it. Right, because we need all of it in terms of our development and the people that we're striving to become. And I say striving because we're constantly evolving. And so I would say to him, man, always be willing to be stronger than your strongest excuse and always be willing to extend a level of grace to both yourself and the others. Because if you haven't needed it yet, I guarantee you it's going to come a point in time 
to where you're going to need another individual to extend a level of grace to you. This is the pivot. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's a wrap. Man. Thank y'all, man. Appreciate it. These are the shows where I know I'm not smart enough. I expected, but I didn't expect it. Big Thank you so much, too, for responding, man. Oh, no question, man. I really appreciate it, dog. No question, man. Bless this, dog. Respect. Hold up. Limitless. Take a stomach cap, pin in it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, got me up. On the mission, got me up. Knowing me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless. Take a stomach cap, pin in it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, got me up.